Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Atlanta Man Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the Atlanta Falcons going to play the Dallas Cowboys and um, the result of that game. We'll also be discussing the Hawks as they have a very, very rough start of their week, but um, pick things up at the end to sort of get back on track. And uh, the Braves, actually. Starting to um starting to turn on the stove a little bit. The stove's getting kind of hot in Atlanta. So the Braves, they pick up a free agent, their first free agent signing of the offseason. But before we get into that, we got to start with the Falcons. And um, they had a pretty, i say like a pretty big game on Sunday. Um, you know, this, after last week's win against the Saints, they were officially in the playoff picture. Uh, they had grabbed the seventh seed in the NFC. So if the season would have ended after last Sunday, the Falcons would have been in the playoffs. So uh, going against the Cowboys, another playoff team, a fellow playoff team, if you will. And, yeah, so it was a pretty big game, especially uh, with what happened against the Cowboys last year when the Falcons had um, one of their worst losses of all time, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was a, it's a big game um, coming going into it because, like, reasons i said playoff team cowboys are very good and if you want to keep up this pace get above 500 and stay in the playoff picture you needed to you need to kind of win this game i know the falcons weren't favored or anything but it would have been a giant win if they were to win it um but um yeah they didn't do that so um i'm not really going to get into the in depth in this game really because i was not able to watch it i was actually out of town on sunday and um was unable to watch it on tv and uh, where i was at could not access the Falcons radio network to listen to the game either. Um, but here, here's my insight of the game. Um, I was able, I was able to actually watch like the first two possessions on my phone. Uh, Cowboys scored a touchdown and the Falcons only kicked a field goal and it was seven to three. And then I had to leave the location that I was at to drive um, a pretty good distance to another location. Um, so it was a long time before I could check my phone again to see what the score was. So when I left point A, the Falcons were only down 7-3. to three. But When I arrived at point B and looked at my phone, the score was 36-3 to three Cowboys. Which was quite interesting, looking at my phone and seeing that. Um, I also saw that like C.D. Lamb had 30 fantasy points before halftime, which is uh, pretty outrageous. And yeah, I kind of just looked at my phone and I was just, I just said, what the hell happened? What happened here? Um, 36 to 3 before halftime. There was about like two minutes left in the second quarter when I checked my phone. And I just, I just, um, you know, just kind of exhaled, put my phone back in my pocket and carried on with my day. Because, um, yeah, that, it, it was, um, it was a clowning. We'll say that. A definite clowning from the Cowboys to the Falcons. Um, like I said, I didn't get to watch this game, but I I went back and I read stuff about the game because I didn't really want to go back and watch the highlights or anything. So I'm just kind of going off what others have said, but uh, like apparently this was just a clown show. I mean, the Cowboys were going for two when they were up 30. I think that the reason it got 36-3 to three was because they scored a touchdown from 28-3, to three, which, oof, 
I guess that was a score at one point. I could check. Um, but they got they got it thirty four to three, and they went for two to make thirty six to three, and they also went for it on fourth down in, in like the fourth quarter up forty three to three. I think. Like yeah, the Cowboys were just like on a mission to embarrass the Falcons. I think, and I mean, I like I I, I don't know I um. It was, it was a clown show. The Falcons got clowned by the Cowboys. There's really nothing more you can say about it. I mean, this is this is the score of when Alabama plays, you know, Furman <laughs> to start their season, 43-3 to in the NFL. All right, so, yeah, I'm looking at – okay, I'm looking at the scoring summary, and, yeah, so the Cowboys led 28-3, to which – I was I wasn't around when this happened, so I'm sure there were plenty of jokes getting off about the Falcons being down 28 to three. Uh, but then, yeah, with 30 37 seconds left in the second quarter is when they scored, and they made it 34 to three. And then Ezekiel Elliott ran for a two point conversion to make it 36 to three. Oh boy, that is something else. And then yeah, there was like a fourth. I think um, this when it made when they made it 43 to three. Dak Prescott had a four-yard run on fourth down and goal to score the touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, they just um, they 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 went crazy on the Falcons, forty-three to three. It's it's crazy to look at an NFL score, um, and just be this lopsided because that just doesn't usually doesn't usually happen. There were a lot of blowouts in the NFL yesterday, but this one might take the cake of just you know the clowning of it all. Yeah, Matt Ryan, um, didn't get to watch him, so I'm just gonna have to kind of, like, box score, evaluate him, but the box score is hideous, 9 for 21, 117 yards, and two interceptions, um, I don't know if, like, I don't know if he was actually that bad, or if the line was breaking down, or, like, other factors, but, I mean, there's no way he was good, I'll say that, um, one, I guess this is kind of a positive, they actually gave Wayne Gallman the ball a good bit, Something that I have kind of been wanting them to do because Mike Davis has struggled just so much. But Wayne Gallman got 15 carries, um, got 55 yards, so good good for him. Uh, Mike Davis only got four. Um, yeah, so yeah, I guess that's the kind of one positive, I guess. I mean, he wasn't great. 15 carries, 55 yards. I mean, that's, that's not awful, but it's not, um, you know, it's not blowing, blowing anybody away. Uh, Josh Rosen got into this game, which... Is never a good thing if Josh Rosen is anywhere near an NFL game, and he, he his his box score is pretty bad too. Um, one for six, 14 yards, and an interception of his own. So yeah, just a very Matt Ryan put up a Josh Rosen um, line in this game, which is just not what you want. Um, we'll talk about Cordero Patterson. Just kind of keep track with his season, I guess. I mean, he ran the ball four times for 25 yards which is pretty good. Maybe should have gave him the ball a little more. 6.3 yards of carries, not bad. And then uh, receiving, he only had one catch for 14 yards. Uh, Falcons leading receiver was Kyle Pitts. I guess he had a somewhat solid game. Uh, four catches, 60 yards. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm just scratching and clawing to find any positives out of this game. There's just not any. Um, so, yeah. Um, I guess one last um, optimist Optimist, optimism, optimist point I can make of optim point of optimism. That, that's that's how it goes. Point of optimism I can make is that the Falcons aren't like dead yet in the playoff hunt. They're still in the hunt. Um, with the extra team getting in the playoffs now, they're still definitely somewhat alive. 
Um, but they have a quick turnaround. They got to play Thursday night against the Patriots, who are playing very well right now. And um, they seem to be figuring things out with Mac Jones. And it's in Atlanta, so, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen. They're probably going to lose. But, you know, if they win, if they beat the Patriots, you know, it's kind of back on a little bit. Because if you beat the Patriots, then you got the Jags after. And all of a sudden, if you can win back-to-back games, you're 6-5 and five, and you're right there. So, yeah, pretty big game coming up on um, Thursday. I didn't realize I played the Jaguars right after the Patriots. So, yeah, if you pretty much, if you beat the Patriots... And then, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to pencil in a win with these Falcons, but it's the Jaguars, and, I mean, they're really bad, and you can't lose the Jaguars. But, like, if you beat the Patriots, you're on pretty good track to be above 500 um, going into the home stretch in December of the season. So, yeah, there's your there's the, optimi- there's, there's the optimist in me saying, hey, just beat the Patriots, and then you got the Jags, and you're, you're good. You can get right. But the pessimist in me says there's no way in hell they're going to beat the Patriots on Thursday night. Um, I, I think I fall, my my actual opinion falls somewhere in the middle. But yeah, um, a big game, a big game on um <laughs> on Thursday. Uh, I can check the playoff standings right now, and as of right now, the Falcons are tied for the eighth seed in the nfc so they're only a half game back of the panthers who currently hold the last playoff spot they're five and five and um the falcons are tied with the vikings and the 49ers with a four and five record as the eighth best record in the nfc so yeah they're not far back at all and they have another game against the panthers too so you can kind of make ground there um i know i'm just um i'm just uh being this, this is just the optimist coming out of me, but I like, I don't know if I truly believe these things, but like you can talk yourself into the Falcons still being alive if you want to is what I'm getting at. So yeah. Um, but the, the thing is about this tie is that the, the Vikings and the 49ers have tiebreaker over Atlanta because they have a better winning percentage in conference games. So that's how the tiebreaker works. So yeah, they're going to have to finish with a better record. So I guess they are actually like, pretty much um 10th but they still have the same record so i mean all it takes is them to lose next week and the falcons win and then bang you right ahead of them again so yeah i think that'll do it for the falcons talk probably one of the uh, more um i don't know just candid falcons talks didn't really go into any depth because there was just no depth to this game to get into because you lost 43 to 3 and yeah moving on moving on now we will move on, so I said move on three times in a row, to the Atlanta Hawks, who also had a pretty bad week to start. Uh, they turned things around in their last two games. I guess this is kind of bleeding over into this week, um, but what we still got to talk about because it happened yesterday. Uh, they started out this week in San Francisco to play the Warriors, who are the best team in the NBA to start the year. Um, the Warriors are very good. They are currently 11-2 and on the year. And uh, Steph Curry just went wild in this game. He had 50 points. Um, yeah, he. this was just kind of the Steph Curry game. He scored the first 10 points of the game, I think. For I know it was, it was at least the first 10 points for the Warriors. Um, but it might have been the first 
10 points in general in the game. I think the Falcons, or not the Falcons, the Hawks might have trailed 10 nothing. It was something weird like that. But he, yeah, he was hot from start to finish. Uh, 50 points, 14 of 28 from the field, and 9 of 19 from three. 10 assists and 7 rebounds too, so he almost went trip-dub on us, which would have been a pretty brutal 50-point triple-double, but he didn't, came three rebounds short, but still, my goodness. Steph, Steph Curry, I mean, you can't really, like, you can't really sit back and, um, you know, criticize the Hawks too much, because um, Steph Curry is Steph Curry. He's just one of the greatest players ever, and I mean, he's just been, he's been really insane since last season since he he was hurt two years ago since he's been back from injury he's just kind of been like i think kind of underrated honestly i think he's not as good as he was when he was mvp stuff but he's like not too far behind which is pretty wild because he is significantly older by like five years which is yeah it's very impressive steph curry is very good and that's just kind of that was kind of the story of this game i mean the hawks like they led at halftime by four points but the third quarter by god they fell apart uh, they got outscored forty-one to twenty in the third, and that's just kind of the ball game. You get you you lead at the halftime, you lead at halftime, then you get outscored by twenty-one in the third. It's just um, it's brutal, and yeah, you, there's not really any coming back from that, especially against a team like Golden State that's playing so well, and they have the maybe maybe the MVP to start the year on their team, um, or at least a candidate to win the MVP this year on their team, and he's scoring fifty points like. Yeah, there's not much you can do with that. So, moving on to Tuesday's game. And um, I mentioned this last week on the podcast, but the Hawks' schedule has been absolutely brutal. It's starting to, like, even out now, and they're it's starting to lighten up. But the past two weeks, I'll just go ahead and say, read out their schedule since um, last Wednesday on November 3rd. Even you can go back to the first, they played the Wizards. I know the Wizards, like, in your head, you probably don't, you probably think, oh, the Wizards aren't great, but the Wizards have the best record in the East right now, and the Hawks beat them um, to start off November, but then they go Nets, loss, Jazz, loss, Suns, loss, Warriors, loss, Jazz, loss, Nuggets, loss. So six straight games against six really good teams, and they lost all of them, which isn't ideal. But then they they had the hard schedule continued. Um, they played the Bucks on Sunday, and they won. But the Bucks are off to a pretty rough start themselves. And then last time they played the Magic, who are not good at all. They beat the Magic. Spoiler. Um, but yeah, just wanted to, just wanted to point out the schedule. Pretty brutal. So yeah, we'll move on to this Jazz game. Um, Donovan Mitchell was in this game. Um, he didn't play in that first game against the Jazz, in which the Hawks lost to. That was the Jordan Clarkson game when he went wild on the Hawks. And uh, Donovan Mitchell played very well in this game. Um, 27 points, 11 of 20 from the field. Uh, Kevin Herter had a really good game. 28 points for the Hawks. Trey had 27, but Collins didn't give them much. Um, they were without DeAndre Hunter and Bogdanovich. So, yeah, that's... Um, those are two starters you're out with. You had to, they had to start Solomon Hill, um, which is never ideal. Um, Cam had 16 points off the bench, but, you know, the Hawks, they just could never really, never really catch up. Um, they were, they, they trailed at the half by 12, I believe. And then in the second, the second half, they just could never like really make their way back into this game. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much the story of the whole game, pretty much. Um, just they fell behind early and uh, they couldn't they couldn't um they couldn't ever really catch up so yeah we'll move on to friday's game against the nuggets and like i said this was another loss for them 
Um, Aaron Gordon had 23 for the uh, Nuggets. He was very good. Um, Trey had 30. He was solid, but uh, in the in the in the third, they had a pretty bad third quarter again. The second half woes just kind of continued. They lost by seven in the third quarter. They ended up losing the game by nine. So I mean, if you could make a little bit of leeway there, you could have been in the game, and you you, know, you don't know what happens then. But yeah, just more second half struggles. So I'm just gonna go ahead and um, wrap up with all the losses, and now we'll get into the two games that they won. Um, they won Sunday night against the Bucks. Pretty impressive win. Trey Young went crazy. He had 42 points. Um, let's see his full line. 42 points, 10 assists, and 8 rebounds. So he was very close to a triple-double. Uh, John Collins was good. 19 points, 6 rebounds. Solid. Uh, Capella was solid, I think. Uh, Gallinari had some had some big points. It was pretty efficient off the bench, too. Um, and, yeah, it was, just really, it was really the Trey Young show. Uh, 16 of 26 from the field, 8 of 13 from 3. So he was just on fire in this game. And the Hawks uh, won handily, 120 to 100 against the Bucks. And then last night against the Orlando Magic, who were absolutely awful. Uh, the Hawks actually trailed at the end of the first. They trailed by one point. And, uh, but they were able to make their way up ahead in this game. They won the rest of the quarters. They won the second by five. They won the third by five. And then they won the fourth by nine, and they pulled away to win 129 to 111. Uh, Trey had 23. He was very solid. Uh, Danilo Gallinari was very good off the bench again. He's been very solid off the bench. Hawks had four guys with 20 points. Uh, Trey, Collins, Capella, and Bogdanovich all had 20-plus. Um, so, yeah, if all those guys are going to score 20, and you're going to end them also, Lou Will off the bench, he was very good. This was a very good Lou Will game. Uh, five of seven shooting, uh, one of two from three and 11 points off the bench is very good. Lou Will in this one. And, uh, yeah, you know, if all those guys are going to score 20-plus and then Neo Gallinari and Lou Will are going to be, you know, their best selves off the bench, the Hawks are going to win a lot of the time. And I know it's the magic, but, um, yeah, definitely good to get back on track. After losing, what was it, this week, they lost their first three games of the week and then Wrapped up the week with a win on Sunday and starting off this week with a win on Monday against the Magic. Um, definitely, definitely a much, much needed uh, change of pace for this team because six losses in a row. I mean, I know they're all playoff teams, but still, you got to win some of those. And it looks like they're starting to, to find their groove. And hopefully this is the start of them just skyrocketing up in the standings and getting over 500 and never looking back. So... Uh, we'll look ahead to the schedule for the rest of this week. Only two games for us this week. Um, they play on Wednesday against the Celtics, um, who are, you know, very they're beatable. Like I said, the schedule really lightens up. I'll just name the rest of their games in um, November, um, and it's pretty light. Uh, you got the Celtics, who are 7-7 seven and seven at home. And the Hawks, by the way, have been awesome at home this year. They're 8-1 and one at home, um, and their road record is not good at all. Um, wait, hold on. I, I, I totally just botched that. <laughs> wait, the Hawks are five and one at home, not eight and one. Sorry, and they're one and eight on the road. That's where I got confused. They're one and eight on the road, and five and one at home. So, yeah, I thought that was worth mentioning that they're just very good at home this year and not going on the road. And they have a stretch of three straight home games. Um, like I said, against the Celtics on Wednesday, Saturday against the Hornets, and then Monday against the Thunder. And all three of those teams are beatable. Definitely beatable. The Hornets have been playing pretty good. Um, so they're like that, that could be a competitive game for sure, but the Thunder aren't good. 
And the Celtics, the Hawks are better than the Celtics. So I think that they should win that game on Wednesday. And then they go on the road um, for two against the Spurs and the Grizzlies, who aren't like world beaters or anything. And then they come back home on the 27th to face the Knicks in a rematch of the, the first round of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So that should be pretty fun. Um, so yeah, the schedule for the rest of November is pretty light. And um, the Falcons, or not, God, not the Falcons, the Hawks, should be able to work their way back to 500 and work their way back up in the standings. So, yeah, it's really, really, it was really important that they got these two, two big wins against the Bucks and the Magic. So, that'll do it for our Hawks talk. And now we'll move on to the Braves. Um, really, the first time I've talked about the talked, we talked about the Braves since they won the World Series. Really, uh, just um, you know, just been enjoying all the festivities that come with winning the World Series. Went to the parade when it happened. It was great. Um, you know, just kind of been every, like, probably like a couple, three times a day, just going on Twitter, YouTube, and pulling up just highlights, like the Solaire homer. Um, I've been looking at the Rosario homer against the Dodgers, just watching that on loop for a couple minutes, make yourself feel good. Uh, Freddie's homer against the Brewers, like, just those big homers from each series, all the big plays. Game two against the Dodgers. I've been really reminiscing on that game because it was just very fun and yeah, probably like the probably um the most the most fun game of the whole playoffs. Looking back on it, um, just from the just the wildness of it, it was Game Two against the Dodgers. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what how what I've been doing with the Braves these days. And then last night they dropped a little bit of news. Uh, they signed backup catcher. Which I know this isn't the most exciting thing in the world, but they signed backup catcher. Manny Pena to a two-year, eight million dollar contract. Um, you know, in very brave fashion, this just came out of nowhere last night at uh six thirty last night. Just a press release on their Twitter account, per usual. Um, you know, the Braves, they really play. They play tight to the chest. They don't leak ever. Then their stuff really never gets broken by one of the Big J reporters or anything like that. It's usually just the Braves releasing their own stuff and. This was the case again. Uh, Manny Pena, a two-year deal um, worth eight million. He'll make three and a half in the first year, and then he'll make four and a half next year. And uh, the contract also includes a four million dollar club option for two thousand twenty-four with no buyout. So that's a that's a win for the Braves. Just get that option with no buyout. You know, you can just decline it or accept it, if, um, depending on how Pena performs. Um, Pena is a bit older. He is 34 years old, which was a little older than I thought he was. I thought he was like 31. Um, he was on the Brewers. We saw him in the playoffs. Um, when as as the Brewers backup catcher, he backed up Omar Narvaez. Uh, but yeah, Pena was very solid last year as a backup catcher. Um, he is very he is known for his defensive prowess. He is very solid behind the plate as a receiver. Um, and he actually did hit a little bit last year, too. And he also hit a little bit in 2020 as well, with a very small sample size. But last year, in 75 games, he had a 732 OPS, which isn't sexy. But if that's your backup catcher, you could do a lot worse. And um, it's actually funny. Let me pull this up. According to, I believe it was Fangraphs, Manny Pena was the number one free agent catcher on the market. And that just kind of shows how... Um, how brutal the catching market is. So yeah, I have a pull up now. According to War, 
of last last year's war among among the free agent catchers, Manny Pena led all catchers in war among the free agents. And just to show you how bad, how bad the catching market is, and how bad catcher just is in general, Stephen Vogt, old friend, was ranked the fourth best free agent catcher by war, with point one war. Like the only two guys that were are really even like above replacement level are Manny Pena who had 2.1 Fangraphs war last year, which is very solid for, um, you know, he only played in 75 games, and racking up that much war as a backup catcher is pretty impressive, honestly. And then Jan Gomes, the former Nationals catcher, he got traded. He had a pretty good year, and he had 1.8 war. Um, they're both 34 years old. But, yeah, um, Manny Pena. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't really, like, I didn't really think um, too much about a backup catcher. Um, you know, it wasn't really on my radar. Most of my thoughts have been going towards Freddie, obviously, and what they're going to do with the outfield situation and a little bit of starting pitching thoughts of what I thought might happen. Uh, but backup catcher was not really on my radar, honestly. I just kind of, I kind of expected them to maybe roll with Contreras as the backup, but it appears that they don't want to do that. And they probably want uh, Contreras to get a full year in the minors, um, which is um, fine by me. Um, he's still a young guy and he's still got a lot of talent, but it's just kind of, he's kind of raw at this point. And, um, yeah, if he can get a full year at AAA and he can rake down there, um, and work on his defense too, which was kind of a, a big point of a discretion throughout the season was his defense. But, um, yeah, I think the Braves are just really like, they saw how bad their catching situation was last year once Darno got hurt and Contreras stopped hitting that um, they had to do, they had to avoid another Kevin Smith, Stephen Vogt situation, and uh, this does that exactly. Um, Pena is solid, a, a back, as solid as really a backup catcher is in the league, honestly. Um, and he was, like I said, he was the best catcher on the market by some metrics, which is just kind of weird. It shows how low the baseline is for catcher around the league. Um, and yeah, again, it also shows why the Braves locked up Darno during the season last year because they went and looked at the free agent catching possibilities and they said, oh, the best free agent catcher is going to be either Manny Pena or Jan Gomes, which, um, you know, you probably you probably could get away with one of those guys being your starting catcher, honestly, but having one of them as your backup is is very, very good. He's um, a strongly above average backup catcher, I'll say that. And um, like I said, most teams could get away with him being your starting catcher. And yeah, it's he's he's an interesting guy. wasn't really on my radar, but like he had a, kind of had a career year last year, um, career high in homers. Um, like I said, the seven thirty two OPS really solid. Um, some people are going to see that he batted one eighty nine. Um, don't take any stock into that really because he slugged four thirty nine, which is pretty solid for a backup catcher. Um, and I think he walked a good bit too. He walked at a, oh wow, I just clicked on an ad on accident. Let's pull up his walk rate. Um, he walked at a 10.6% clip last year, which is very good. So yeah, he's going to walk. He's going to hit for a little bit of power. Like I said, he had 13 home runs in 75 games, which is pretty good. Um, over a full season, he's on pace for like um, nearly like like high 20 home run count, which is that's your backup catcher, like I said, that's really good. Um, that's just kind of the big takeaway from this, is that the Braves just signed a really good backup catcher. And he's awesome defensively, too. Um, so his offense is just kind of a bonus piece because he's just really good 
defensively. And yeah, I like the signing a lot. I think it's um, a bit surprising that they went two years, but it's it's really no money. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's kind of pennies. I mean, it's it's since they backloaded, he's making four and a half million, makes like a little more for next year, but still. Um, yeah, it's not that much money for a backup catcher. And, you know, if, if you do have a situation where like Contreras is just like going absolutely nuts in AAA next year, or even Shailene Aliers, who I haven't mentioned yet, if one of those guys is just going crazy in the minors and you want to get him up, either Pena and Darno, like these are tradable contracts. You could trade one of these guys if one of those, if you want to get one of those guys up in the big leagues, because like I said, they're not making a ton of money, and they're probably a little bit underpaid for their value at their position. And um, also that, like, I think it's probably possible that the Braves trade one of Langoliers and Contreras in the next couple of years because, you know, it's just kind of unlikely to me that when these when Darno and Pena's contracts are up, that their catching battery is going to be Contreras and Langoliers. Like, I think you need to trade one of those guys because they're both. Like one of those guys is going to be such an a, a above average backup, um, like that you they have so much value on the trade market, and I think the Braves at some point are going to have to trade some of these prospects, and it wouldn't shock me if one of these catchers were attached to it. So, yeah, definitely an interesting signing. Um, like I said, wasn't on my radar at all, but something that I uh, something that I definitely like, and I'm glad they did, and just really good backup catcher. So I've said that like 10 times already. Um, but yeah, the Braves got the top catcher on the market and I'm happy about it. So yeah, hopefully in the next coming weeks, they can make a move on Freddie Freeman. There's been some reporting on Freddie um, over the past few days. It's just kind of procedural stuff by his agent probably. Um, I'm still fairly confident that Freddie's going to be back in Atlanta next year. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to talk about that too much until it actually happens or doesn't happen. Um, either way, if Freddie comes back or if Freddie leaves, there will be a lot to talk about. So, yeah, uh, that'll do it for the Braves talk. That'll do it for the Manny Pena talk. And that'll do it for this episode. Uh, if you made it this far listening, I really, really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next one. Thank you.